Good morning, everyone. As Josh just said, our passage today is coming from Luke 18. Um, I will be reading from verses 9 to 14, and it can be found on page 851 of the Bibles in front of you, so please join me, pick it up and turn to page 851. Luke chapter 18. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, in the, uh, the old days when I was young, I uh, was a maths teacher at Maryville High School, and uh, I always I loved the opportunity to share Christ in the staff room as well as with students. And uh, there was one person specifically I tried to share the message of God's grace, the message of the cross, the message that it's not religion that makes you right with God, but faith in Jesus Christ. It's, we talk about relationship, not religion. Yet it, she didn't ever seem to get it. And one day she said to me, said, what makes you think you're a Christian? I'm not. I go to church from time to time. I love my kids. I work hard. I give money to the Salvation Army. In fact, I just gave $20 the other day. What makes you think you are better than me? Her question showcased that, I guess, how most people have completely misunderstood Christianity. As much as I spoke about grace and mercy, clearly I failed to communicate a message that it's about Jesus, it's not about me. Friends, let me say right at the beginning here, whether you're in this auditorium on live stream this morning, Christians don't seek to impress God or others with our goodness or our religious observance. Religion won't save anybody. In fact, Christians are those who have recognized their miserable failings and have humbly gone to Christ and Christ alone for forgiveness and new life. It's all about Jesus, not about them. There's a difference between religion and Christianity, and as I've shared before, I think there's little... Uh, this expression is helpful. Religion is spelt D-O, do. It's what we do to try to impress God. And you think, yeah, if I just do enough, and this is, I think, how many people think, if I just do enough, I might, if my good outweighs my bad, at least, God might accept me into his heaven. Well, let me say that uh, every religion outside of Christianity is quite like this. But let me say religion is also... Absolutely devastating. Why? Because none of us are perfect to meet God's standard. And it doesn't matter how hard you try to reach a certain standard, uh, it's never good enough or you never know whether you've done enough. I remember one young man who used to have a, a sheet of paper, a little book every day. On one side, he would write the good things, and on the other, his failings. Every day. Can you imagine that? 
Imagine the burden of that every day. Never sure whether he's done enough to get into heaven. But Christianity is radically different. It is spelled D-O-N-E, done. It's not what you do, but what Christ has done for you through his death on the cross and his resurrection victory. We are never going to be good enough, so Christ dies to take the penalty for our sins and our mistakes, and we are saved by grace. That's why Romans 6.23 says, memorize this one if you haven't yet, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift through Christ, faith in him, that gives you eternal life. Religion is spelled D-O, Christianity is spelled D-O-N-E. Jesus illustrates this truth, by the way, in this short parable, Luke 18, 9 to 14. It's a powerful little parable. It's a shocking little parable to the people who first heard it. And it is still, in one sense, shocking today to people. Firstly, the pride of the religious person. To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down or despise or reject it on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So he has a target, doesn't he, in this parable? Whenever Jesus tells the parables, he has a target, as we saw in the last few weeks. The target is those who are confident in their own righteousness, their own perfection, and they look down on others. So it's not simply confident in themselves, but at the same time, they do two things, confident in their own righteousness and look down on others, contrasting with others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Let me tell you that when Jesus tells this parable, it would get up some people's noses, as they say. Jesus was saying that the most religious person of the day was not pleasing to God. And God was on the side of the con artist, the cheat, who simply apologized. It didn't sound right to them. It still doesn't sound right to people today. He's in jail. She's in jail. She deserves what she gets. May God never forgive them for their failings. May they get what's coming to them is the thinking. See, the Pharisee was a clean, living sort of bloke. Honest in his business, good father, a faithful husband, even religious, extremely religious, but a stranger to God and to God's goodness. Here's the picture. There are two men. They go up into the temple to pray during a set time of prayer. The crowds are there at this time of prayer. The service of the sacrifice of the lamb has taken place as a substitute for the sins of the people at dawn or at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. The smoke from the sacrifice now wafts across the altar and the temple area. The sacrifice has now covered the sins of Israel and paved the way back to God. You can now talk to God. Your sins have been dealt with. You're bringing your private prayers to God. And normally took place during what's called the incense offering. So the Pharisee in Jesus' parable stands and prays about himself or to himself. Now it's not unusual to pray aloud. It's quite normal in the Jewish system for people to pray out aloud. But what does he pray? God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers. Like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. He speaks about himself and he condemns others. This guy was full of himself, confident in his own perfection and righteousness. He doesn't see that he is a sinner in need of saving. In his prayer, he should have offered thanks to God for all of his gifts and petitions. He should have said, thank you, God, for your love. Thank you, God, for your provision. Thank you, God, for your good things. Thank you, God, for my family. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness. But no, he boasts about his self-achieved righteousness. His prayer was a self-advertisement, wasn't it? He doesn't refer to God again after the beginning. never out of the picture. He places his confidence in himself and not in the God who brings forgiveness. God, look at me. Look at how good and great I am, he says. God, aren't you lucky to have me on your side? I wonder how often we think like that. As I wonder, although we may not verbalize it, because of our relationship with God and the way in which we live, we look down on others and commend ourselves to God. I'm not that. I don't blow people up with bombs, abuse my kids, I don't gamble, I don't cheat the government, I give to the world people. You may even say I volunteer as a home group leader, I cook meals for the sick. There is a danger, I think Jesus, Jesus tells this parable, because it's often the, the people, maybe in churches, we are tempted to look down on others and forget the grace of God. I was quite shaken a number of years ago. I, there's a little article in the Sydney Morning Herald called The Darrow Set on Fire with His Own Method. It's only a short article, front page, and I picked it up and I read that. And uh, it was devastating. But the Sydney Morning Herald then said about this article was some kids have just uh, thrown methylated spirits over this uh, drunk homeless man and burnt him to death. And the Herald then reported that there was a story that they were, it was a train ride. And um, this man who read this story, who was also a homeless alcoholic, became angry when he heard about this story. He started to shout and scream in the train carriage. He upset the whole train carriage, and then he stopped and he apologized to everyone. He just couldn't handle the fact that someone like him had just been burnt to death, and we were just reading it in the paper, and then we go to the next story. He said, I'm sorry, but I got so angry, but he was human too. And this man identified with him. He's a man in desperate need. He needs to be treated as an image bearer of God. I remember uh, another woman at, uh, at Springwood when I was there, and uh, she was visiting churches and stealing wallets and money. The Anglican Church, the Uniting Church, the Baptist Church, she would just come along and sit there, and, and what she was there for was to try to thieve. And I remember seeing the police arrest her at our church. I caught up with her. I had to ask my question, what did I see when she was arrested? Isn't that good? She got arrested, stopped thieving? Or was I able to see through the lens of Jesus and the eyes of Jesus a broken woman in desperate need, two young children, no money? 
with no money and with no friends and no family around her, could I see a woman who is an image bearer of God? And did I shake my head or did I think, what would Jesus do in this situation? Or a fellow called Dane, I remember, and uh, often, uh, even in this community here, we often uh, give food hampers to people and, and many just come, they take it, they leave. They don't have a conversation. Others will have a conversation with you. Some have joined our church over the time. And we try to engage with them in a conversation. But I remember Dane, he's in another community, not around here. And a short guy, stocky, covered in tats. And he asked for some food hampers. He was living with a, with a partner at that stage. So I drop it in. And sometimes you get calls at the unusual times. And you think, do I have time to do this? I, I don't have time. And they're just another person who needs a food hamper. And you drop it in. They don't say very much, and you leave. And then one day, though, a minister from uh, St. Matthew's Anglican Church in Manly rang me. said, I hear you've met my friend Dane. This person started to be a person as I had this conversation. He said, Dane used to be at our church at Manly. He was involved in the drug scene, but God had saved him out of that. He started to join our church. He was on our music team playing the drums. But he wanted to get away from all the bad influences of the drug culture in Manly, so he moved to the Blue Mountains to have a new start in life. Can you look after him for us? I remember he rang me then uh, a bit later and I went over and uh, his partner had just left and he was alone again, just needed some food to talk. All of a sudden, he wasn't simply a man who received a food hamper. It's a person created in the image of God with true value. Well, young teenagers I ran into at uh, Westfield Hurstville one day. I don't know what it is, but on my day off, God always sends people to me. What about you? There I am having my quiet coffee all by myself, de-stressing. They come up to me and ask me for some money to catch a train into the city. I said, who are you guys? Why don't you have a seat with me? We talked for 20, 30 minutes about their lives. God said, no, 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 talk to them. 19 years old and 16, away from their families, tried to find out why they weren't with their families, living alone in a, in a little unit in the city. We talked together. God said, see more than simply kids who just want a, few, a little bit of cash. I pray that they use that money to catch the train, not something else. That maybe that moment might be helpful for them heading into the future. Friends, Jesus said he came to seek and to save the lost. We were desperately lost. Everyone is desperately lost and needs a loving saviour. No one can be confident in their own righteousness, simply in the righteousness of Christ. But the humility of the repentant sinner, but the tax collector, Jesus wants these people to get the picture of the tax collector, the worst of the worst, the one working for the Romans, the one working for the enemy, the one that you won't even allow to come to your temple, the one you won't share a meal with. Jesus highlights the beauty of the repentant tax collector. He stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, so ashamed of his sins, but beat his breast and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. This man was greedy and dishonest. He cheated his own people, but before God, he said, Be merciful, show mercy to me, a sinner. 
He knew he had nothing to offer God. He stood a fair distance away, says the parable, anxious not to be seen, sensing his unworthiness to be seen with the other worshippers. And he's broken as he longs to be part of it all. A deep remorse. He strikes his chest. Friends, in the New Testament, it's not the men who strike their chest, it's the women. For him to strike his chest is a gesture of extreme sorrow and anguish. Here he is, this man, broken, alone. Can you see him in the corner? One is up here, oh God, look at what I've done. And the guy's in the corner. I can't get close. I don't deserve to be close. I have nothing to commend me to God. Maybe, maybe if I call out to God, he will forgive me. He prays that God's anger at his sin would be removed. The word for mercy in the Greek is propitiate. The need for God's anger to be removed by a substitutionary sacrifice. Friends, he wasn't justified or declared right with God, acquitted of his sins because he was sinful, but because he called on God in trust for mercy. As someone has said, the only thing going for this guy was that he had nothing going for him and he knew it. Jesus concludes, shockingly to his listeners, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Friends, we live this side of the cross. A Christian is someone who realizes that the only thing going for them is that they have nothing going for them. And they throw themselves on God's mercy. They trust that Jesus took the punishment they deserved on himself on the cross. Let me remind you of three key verses here. For Christ died for sins, who? Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Hold on to that verse, will you? Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a beautiful promise of God. Not your righteousness, not your perfection, but Christ. Trust in him and come to him. Friends, let me conclude with a couple of testimonies this morning to illustrate that God is doing his work to save tax collectors and sinners and rebels. Ricardo was known on the streets of New York as Sarah. In his book, uh, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Jim Simbala, the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, tells this story. He said, for 10 years, Ricardo was on cocaine and involved in homosexual prostitution. Invited to a church by a friend, he heard the message about Jesus. The Jesus who could set him free from cocaine and homosexuality. That after a month of listening, he called out to God for mercy. He admitted that what he was doing was wrong and he needed God's forgiveness and transformation. A bit like the tax collector. He said his life was transformed. In time, he married a Christian woman named Betty. But Ricardo also had AIDS, which ultimately ended his life on the earth, but not before he recorded an eight-minute testimony of his transformation by the grace of God. 
God took a rebel and transformed him and made him a new person. And Jim Simbler writes, Charles Spurgeon once said that when a jeweler shows his best diamonds, he sets them against a black velvet backdrop. In the same way, God does his most stunning work where things seem hopeless. Wherever there is pain, suffering, and desperation, Jesus is. And that is where his people belong, among those who are vulnerable, who think nobody cares. What better place for the brilliance of Christ to shine, he writes. And the second one is uh, Tim Mander. You will know him uh, as a former rugby league referee, refereed the NRL Grand Final in 2005, Queensland Father of the Year in 2005, went on to become the CEO of Scripture Union in Queensland, is now a Liberal Party MP in Queensland. He tells his story. Before he became an international rugby league referee, he didn't believe in God, and he was quite opposed to the truth of God. One day, he says, I received a phone call from a mate who asked me if I had heard about Dave. Dave had gone weird, they said. He'd gone religious. Dave was a science teacher whom I stayed with for a while, he says. He had shared my view that no intelligent person could believe in God. He now excitedly told me that he had finally found the truth. All the years, he was confused and dissatisfied. Now the scales had been lifted from his eyes. He was delirious with happiness, he told me, this Dave guy. And over a period of six months, what was more disconcerting more and more of my friends joined this weird group of people who talked about Jesus. Tim Mander was very confused now. He said, my marriage was disintegrating. My life was not too rosy. I was drinking heavier than ever before. I gambled a fair bit. That wasn't helping my marriage. I felt dissatisfied with my wife, listen to this, and thought that a change was in order. I decided that the holidays coming up were to be my last with Gail as my wife. Little did I know, being so arrogant, that Gail was fed up with me and she was contemplating the same thought. Two lost people planning to out, get out. And then he says, we're on the Gold Coast for the last few days of the holiday when my mate Phil and his wife visited us. God kept putting Christian people into his life. He was right into Christianity, so we had our obligatory debate. When they left, I felt that if I were going to argue better, I better read the Bible for myself so I can know what the Bible says, and then I can prove him wrong. And then I picked up, well, Phil left a good news, New Testament, so I started reading Mark's Gospel. Thus began the major transformation I'd ever experienced. As I read, I started seeing things with clarity I'd never experienced before. The wisdom and truthfulness of what uh, Jesus was saying seemed to jump right out of the pages. I knew this wisdom wasn't of men. Men aren't capable of writing with such profound wisdom. This Jesus Christ was radical. And he said he turned his world upside down. He denounced the religious leaders of his time as being hypocrites. That with their pomp, ceremony, tradition, they actually made it harder for people to know God. A bit like the Pharisees in Jesus' parable. I could relate to that because I saw religion as a hypocritical joke. But Jesus said things which I knew deep down in my heart were true. Man needed to change his heart before any other problems could be solved, and only God could do that. I don't exaggerate when I say things change overnight for me. My wife could see an immediate change in my life. I had this incredible peace, and I felt released. 
I read and read and read. I couldn't put the Bible down. There's Jesus healing people, feeding 5,000, walking on the water, and ultimately being raised from the dead. There is something that Jesus said. The changes in my life were undeniable. I had this appetite to read the Bible. I read it at home, on the bus, and at work. My career ambitions were of no concern. My swearing and blasphemy virtually stopped overnight. My desire for alcohol decreased remarkably. Something supernatural had occurred in my life, he says. I now have a sense of purpose and meaning in my life. It's great to know there is meaning to life. It can be fulfilling. Changed by Jesus. Ricardo, Timanda, far from God, doubting his existence, but ultimately calling out to God and finding his mercy. Friends, one day we will all face our holy God at Judgment Day. Either as his children and welcomed into eternal life, or as unforgiven enemies continuing into everlasting judgments. I fear that some people, many people will meet God, and God will say to them, what are you doing here unforgiven? What are you doing here unforgiven? And some might say, well, I lived a good life. Or I was a religious man, in fact, a Pharisee, in fact, a Baptist maybe. I never got around to thinking about it too much. Well, I didn't think it mattered all that much. I thought I'd worry about it later when I got older and on board with life. And surely the answer would come back. You should have known better. Why ever do you think... I let my one and only son die on a cross. Friends, the offer of forgiveness and life is available to each one of us. But the decision is made here and now on this earth. It's too late beyond our final breath. I pray for you and I pray for me that we would genuinely know Christ, and not commit ourselves, but trust in the finished work of Jesus. And this Christmas season, we would get that message out as we did on Thursday night at the gingerbread event, as we'll do at the family, uh, at, at the fair coming up, at our, our Christmas services. In fact, at every service we run here every Sunday, that men and women will come to know Christ. Amen. Lord God, we thank you that uh, you're a powerful, life-transforming God. You take anyone who repents and trusts in you, cries out to you for mercy because you delight in showing mercy, you delight in showing grace. Lord, I pray for every person in this meeting this morning, in this auditorium on live stream. God, may they know peace with you. May they know forgiveness. May they know reconciliation. May they know the joy of knowing and following Christ. And Lord, I ask that you would also empower us to be faithful witnesses, not to be religious, but to be Christian, to be like Jesus. Loving people you bring into our paths, loving people we work with in our families, people we meet in recreation times, that we see them as valuable image bearers of God, that we will commend Christ to them. We pray in Christ's name for his glory. Amen.